You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week we come to you to bring you the information regarding health care that doctors discuss between themselves in doctor's lounges all across the country. We let you into those private conversations to prepare you to advocate for yourself so that you can fight for your health care freedom because no one can make health care decisions for you and your family better than you can. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the only health care think tank in the United States that is run by actively practicing physicians. Um, the uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation stands for the doctor-patient relationship and for health care freedom for every American. So please go to our website, d4pcfoundation.org, docs4patientcarefoundation.org, and read what we've written there. The site is very current. Th- new information gets up there. Um, every week, educate yourself, see what's happening in healthcare, and um, we need your help. Contribute to uh, the foundation and uh, allow us to continue to put on shows like this and do the work that we're doing around the country. We think we're doing great stuff. Well, um, it's um, always a treat for me to have a in-studio guest, uh, they, it's it's a lot more fun when you have a conversation looking at somebody instead of listening to them on the telephone. And and today we uh, we have that opportunity with an old friend, uh, someone who uh, I'm not that old. <laughs> someone who has been working in the healthcare space for quite some time, and uh, and whose work we respect and. Uh, uh, and we're going to discuss that today. My guest today is uh, Wayne Oliver, who's the executive director of uh, Patients for Fair Compensation. And I'm going to let him tell you all about it. But Wayne is uh, uh, has a, a, a wealth of healthcare knowledge. He uh, worked for um, quite some time um, as the vice president for the Center for Healthcare Transformation, which was a uh, healthcare policy think tank that was uh, founded by Newt Gingrich, and that's how I uh, uh, became acquainted with uh, Wayne when he was there. And um, and uh, Wayne has uh, uh, transitioned to uh, F- Patients for Fair Compensation, and uh, it, which is an organization um, that uh, is promoting better ideas as far as the medical malpractice um, world, the medical malpractice crisis is concerned. So, Wayne, welcome into the Doctor's Lounge. Thanks, Hal. Appreciate um, uh, the invitation. Well, you know, we, um, we have... Uh, um, worked side by side with you in uh, the uh, uh, w- with patients for fair compensation for quite some time. Um, we we've uh, written about it. The people who are are part of Docs for Patient Care have written about um, the the system that that. Uh, Patients for Fair Compensation advocates for, which is the patient compensation system, which we'll get into. But I was. Um, hoping that for the audience you could um, uh, talk a little bit 
get this uh, conversation kicked off about medical malpractice, which nobody seems to really be talking about in uh, in with all of the all of the noise going on in healthcare. And so, um, what what exactly is the problem with medical malpractice, Wayne? Well, um, Hal, unlike um, maybe 30 years ago when there was um, a a, a malpractice crisis insofar as insurers leaving the market, um, physicians unable to find uh, competitive um, coverage for uh, their professional liability, um, we have a different kind of a healthcare crisis now, and that is we we have run upon um, an obstacle, and that obstacle is healthcare costs. the The current system is unsustainable, whether it's in the private or public sector. Medicare and Medicaid are strapped, and um, the only place that they can turn is to lower reimbursements for providers, and we know that never works. Um, the public sector, uh, more and more employers are shifting more of those costs away from themselves and on to um, uh, their employee patients uh, in the form of higher deductibles and co-payments. We've, we've heard uh, horror stories about um, high deductible plans leaving patients um, uh, in a quandary because they can't afford a certain surgical procedure. So really the impetus behind um, the founding of Patients for Fair Compensation and the creation of the concept of a patient compensation system really drives itself out of that cost factor. Um, in Georgia, um, uh, we, we believe, and of course this is a, a nationwide effort, but we're focusing uh, on the state level. Uh, we have projects in Georgia, in Florida, uh, Tennessee, and Alabama. Um, those four states are looking at completely eviscerating the tort system in that state for physicians. In other words, there would no longer be a cause of action, a lawsuit, if you will, uh, brought by an injured patient against a doctor and or a hospital. Um, Instead, we would create an administrative system, much like workers' compensation. A panel of three physicians would look at a redacted case file um, that was alleging um, uh, uh, an error. Those three physicians, again, looking at that redacted file, no doctor name, no patient name, no hospital, no city. All you knew was that this is an injured patient in this jurisdiction. Um, those the panel of physicians would look at a redacted case file and determine um, if um, if a medical injury occurred. If those three docs say or two docs say that that that, that in fact constituted a medical injury, um, the patient would be eligible for compensation. It would take, I don't know, six to nine months to complete that process as opposed to the five to seven years in litigation now. There wouldn't be any stress. There's no personal liability that is associated with it, Uh, unlike today's system where if a a jury comes back with a $5 million award and a physician has $1 million of coverage, the patient's going to look to that doctor personally for the remainder of that um, of that judgment. So as a consequence, in this system, there is no personal culpability. culpability. There is no, no really um, pointing of a finger saying, you hurt my mom. Um, it is a, it's a system that just, just works a whole lot better uh, for doctors, for injured patients, uh, and quite frankly, for the whole healthcare system. Because again, we can begin to have doctors focusing on patient care as opposed to defensive medicine. You have touched on so many points in that monologue that, that we need to kind of tease out and, and dissect and talk about. Let's first talk about what the big problem is, the, the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room, as I see it, 
is what you concluded with, which is defensive medicine. Tell us, tell us what what that is. Define it, sure. and 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 the scope of the problem. Um, well, well, first off, uh, uh, I have extraordinary admiration for physicians and appreciate your service. I've known you for, I don't know, 10, 11 years. Uh, and um, uh, really appreciate what physicians bring to the table every day. But they're scared to death. I mean, we've, we've got a litigious society. Um, we've got ads running all, all day and all night indicating, you know, one call and whiz-bang, you can get represented for whatever your injury is. Um, but but the the 800 pound gorilla that you described is defensive medicine. So uh, it is the practice where physicians um, uh, order tests, procedures, referrals, admissions, drugs, scans, whatever, um, uh, n- not for any medical benefit. Um, th- there's no therapeutic value, no treatment value, no diagnostic value to these tests or procedures. Um, those procedures are ordered simply to um, potentially avoid a lawsuit somewhere down the road. Um, th- th- our research indicates that it's big. It's a big problem. According to Gallup, it's 26% of all health care costs. Which means about... $600 billion annually. That's correct. And again, there is no value to, as a matter of fact, it may actually hurt patients um, in the long run. Um, and physicians n- know that, but they've got to do whatever they need to do to protect themselves. And they believe that ordering these unnecessary tests is the the best way to, to protect themselves. Does that also play into end-of-life care? It, well, to some degree. Um, uh, you know, it, it, hopefully we, we've started to have conversations uh, in venues like the doctor's lounge um, ab- about those end-of-life issues. And, and more and more folks, I think, are taking steps, whether that's advanced directives or a living will or whatever that document may otherwise be, that indicates what they want towards the end of their life. Hopefully we've had those discussions and, and they're continuing to permeate. How However, it is a problem. But I'm just talking about, you know, the, 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 the pediatrician who sees a sees the kid um, with a virus uh, in, in the pedi- pediatrician's office. The, the pediatrician knows that this is a virus but still prescribes amoxicillin. Um, and so the patient gets a prescription for the pink stuff, um, and the patient, the, the, the child, receives an antibiotic that's not going to do anything for that virus. Well, actually, you said a couple of minutes ago it actually may harm the patient, and in that case, it certainly does. It not only harms, potentially can harm the patient, they can get an adverse reaction to the medication, or they could develop antibiotic resistance, That's right. but the entire system is disadvantaged because in the case of antibiotics, we're dealing with a crisis that has um, that has stemmed from inappropriate use of medication, and now we're dealing with these superbugs that are impossible to treat that were were created because doctors were afraid that if they didn't treat somebody and give them you know therapy that was not necessarily a hundred percent indicated that they could be 
um, liable. So they're basically covering their rear. That's exactly right. And that's a that's a classic example of antibiotic resistance. But you know, what about the bonus radiation that you get when you get the extra X-ray, yes, or the extra scan, or the extra ultrasound, or whatever it is? Not only is there the cost associated with that, right, which is which is a big chunk of change, and it's getting worse now every year where patients have to assume more. Um, uh, financial liability for even generic drugs, sure. which have have gone up tenfold. That's right. That's right. So, so defensive medicine has become um, one of the the major problems that that the pa- that the patient compensation system is uh, looking to uh, to uh, replace. No. Even the threat of litigation causes docs to do counterintuitive things, things that, you know, that they wouldn't otherwise think about doing. But because they're looking over their shoulder at a plaintiff's attorney, they're, they're doing things, whether it's those tests or scans or even just a referral. I mean, just, you know, a, a, a general practitioner, a, a family doc says, you know, I don't, I don't know everything about urology, but I'm going to send him over to uh, Dr. Shears because I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, my gut tells me it's this, and I think it's this, right. but I'm going to send him to Hal to make sure that it's that. So inappropriate referrals, which clog up the system and take away the time of specialists for problems that they really should be able to see. That's correct. And, and you know, we're all shouldering it, whether we're patients or we're employers um, or we're taxpayers. So, I mean, we've got Medicaid patients and Medicare patients that are that are being subjected to defensive medicine on a daily basis. And that costs all of us as taxpayers um, in support of those programs. Well, um, you know, the, you, as I said in your monologue, covered a lot of ground and that we're going to need to break that all apart. So when we come back uh, into the next segment, um, we're going to talk about who's pushing back on on a system like this and, and uh, why they might be doing so when we return to the doctor's lounge. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. My guest today is, excuse me, is uh, Wayne Oliver, who is the Executive Director of Patients for Fair Compensation. And we are devoting this show to the malpractice crisis, the medical malpractice crisis, and how that is um, hurting you, the patients, and why this problem needs to be solved, desperately needs to be solved, and how Patients for Fair Compensation is doing what they can to try to be the change agent as far as that's concerned. So when we broke from the last segment, we we left it talking about um, some of the impediments for patients who are injured and uh, and why uh, and why some a system like patients for fair or the patient compensation system that's advocated by uh, patients for fair compensation before we get into that question um, people who um, want to uh, pull this up and look at the information um, uh, maybe while they're listening to the show sure. or or afterward can go to where? They can go to um, our website, which is patientsforfaircompensation.org. Um, they can receive all kinds of information there. They can receive look at the research. They can There's some video material that's up there. Um, there's some uh, both tailored for both patients and physicians. So whatever whoever your audience is uh, can certainly go there and, and get some additional information. And legislate. Absolutely. So, impediments to to uh, getting recourse. Tell us about that. Well, uh, our research has indicated that um, uh, the vast majority of patients, over eighty percent of those legitimately injured patients, receive no compensation whatsoever. Some of those, most of those, are small dollar claims. In other words, you, you've got a, a patient; uh, he or she is a bus driver. Um, they go in to have their appendix removed. They put in twenty lap sponges. They remove nine. They sew up the patient. The patient goes home. He create, he develops sepsis, um, is readmitted to the hospital, has to go through another surgical procedure to, to retrieve that, um, that 20th uh, lap sponge. Uh, and um, he, he misses a month or she misses a month of work. It's a bus driver. They, 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 they make $250 a week. So there's, a, there's an economic impact of $1,000. There's not a trial lawyer anywhere in America that's going to take a case for a thousand dollars of injury, um, and so this is going on all the time, every day, all over the country. Um, so the vast majority of patients, because they can't access the system, um, are 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 denied any compensation whatsoever. Did he have an injury? Yes. Was he com- compensated for that injury? No. And so uh, the patient compensation system, irrespective of how big or how small that case might otherwise be, a patient would be eligible to be compensated if that pa- panel of physicians determined there was an injury. Well, <clears throat> there, there are two types of awards. There's the actual economic damages, and as we currently have this in the in the civil tort system, pain and suffering. That's right. How does that 
um, does does that exist in the patient compensation system? To, to some degree. Um, uh, just like workers' comp, a, a schedule would be developed. Um, uh, a- actuaries working with physicians and other folks in this administrative system would determine what the value of that that incident of sepsis would be for that for that bus driver. Um, they would develop a, a whole cri- a whole set of criteria um, around whether this was a, a, a non life threatening um, uh, injury or all the way up to um, heavens forbid, but death. And then what what would be the value of a wrong site knee surgery or um, a botched appendix or uh, appendicitis or or whatever the case may be? There would be a litany of those um, those injuries that would be developed. The, the beautiful thing about our system is, is that we've got 40 years of data. So we know what juries and courts have awarded for the vast majority of these injuries, um, except those kind of low-dollar uh, claims. And then, you know, again, we can bring some really smart people together and put them in a room and figure it out. Right now, um, as I understand it, the awards – and the the amount of money that is in the medical malpractice system, um, really, does a very small percentage of that actually gets to injured patients. Even in the current system, um, uh, let, let's say a patient does in fact um, achieve an award, and let's say that that you know it's a jury trial and it goes you know for four weeks, and um, uh, the jury comes back with an award for a million dollars. Um, that patient's not going to take that million dollars. Um, the, their trial lawyer is going to take a chunk of it, and their ongoing medical expenses going forward are going to take the rest of the chunk. So, so for the actual injury itself, patients really aren't receiving uh, anything when compared to, you know, that million dollar award or or that settlement or whatever it is. A chunk of that's going to go to someone other than that injured patient. In the patient compensation system, uh, while a patient could, you know, reach out and and get a lawyer, it's not necessary. Um, it's an administrative system. Once a claim is made, the claim just moves and migrates through the system. Um, if that patient receives compensation, they don't have to share it with anyone. Why, why do you think a patient would engage a lawyer in the patient compensation well, system? Well, you know, um, if you have um, someone who just needs help with navigating the system, just where do I file the claim? How do I begin the process? They could, you know, it doesn't have to be a lawyer. I mean, it could be a family member that could help that patient, and it would just depend on the circumstances of that particular patient. So in in uh, a system like that, what if a patient doesn't agree with what the the expert panel uh, arrives at their decision? Yeah, well, um, th- there is an appeal mechanism, but that appeal mechanism would be limited to process, to did the system do what it said it was going to do? Did it impanel, in, in the case of, of that, um, that patient with a with the lap sponge, the, the bus driver, um, d- did they get three general surgeons to serve on that panel? Well, nope, they were three OBGYNs. Well, nope, that's an improperly um, uh, impanelment of, of folks, and it's it, it violated the process, so that would be appealable. If a patient says, I, I only got $100,000, um, that is not necessarily in and of itself um, appealable. So in a system that that utilizes this process 
would um, there be specialty doctors for the different types of injuries? Absolutely. And it would be within the same area as that um, uh, that physician who allegedly created the medical error. So if it's a urology issue, it's three urologists. If it's an OBGYN, it's three OBGYNs. So how do you, is, is this a state-by-state type of arrangement where these networks of experts are, are um, put together? Yes, and, and thank you. That's a really good question. Um, a tort law is largely based on the state level. There, there, are, there is a federal tort statute, but it's, um, the vast majority of medical malpractice cases are brought um, at the state level, at the superior court level. Um, so, so our our solution again would eliminate and free up that court system entirely because those cases would no longer clog up the judicial system. They would be um, in a in a track all by themselves. Can you now have trials for murders and rapists? Well, or focus on on you know other civil litigation. Of but you're exactly right. So, so um, in in uh, the patient compensation system, with with these panels of doctors in each state. Um, does that create um, more financial burden? Because how do you how do you engage those people to participate? Well, we would uh, we would anticipate working with the specialty societies because that's where um, you know that's that's where the doctors are. Um, they, they they may or may not be part of their state medical association, but the vast majority of physicians are, in fact, a member of their local um, specialty society. So we would engage um, those specialty societies, um, and we would pay physicians who would who would serve on those panels. For their time. The, for their time. That's exactly right. So um, the um, expert witnesses that currently exist, which is a cottage industry in and of itself. No doubt. Um, that disappears. It disappears. It evaporates. There's no longer uh, – again, everything that we and, – and when I get into challenging discussions with um, particularly attorneys, um, and they try and frame everything in, in the current context of a litigation system, you know, where you have discovery and where you – you know, you've got this five- to seven-year process that's stressful on the patient and it's also stressful on the doctor. Um, there was a recent study that was released – um, that indicates that doctors spend more time in litigation than they spent in medical school and residency. Really? It's crazy. You know, they, I've, I've heard statistics that, that every physician in practice can expect one case, one malpractice case in their medical lifetime. And that's, and that's a mind-boggling uh, statistic if you think about it. And if you, you know, if you really look at the surgical specialties where, where you, know, they're, you know, nothing is certain in life, but you know, when you start um, you know, providing surgery like you do on a regular basis, um, the, the, the opportunity for something to go wrong, whether that's an injury or a bad outcome, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, because injuries are compensable, bad outcomes aren't, um, and there's a there's a clear distinction in the in the medical community, but nonetheless, um, uh, it it really is a better mousetrap. It takes care of patients that are injured, legitimately injured. It um, provides relief for physicians because they can focus on on patient care rather than ordering a battery of tests. 
Um, and ultimately, it's better for the system because, again, we can we can lower. We don't, we don't think that there's a, a light switch of defensive medicine. It's gonna it's been inculcated in in medical practice. It's taught in medical schools. Um, but but when physicians learn that they're no longer personally liable and they're no no longer going to be dragged into a whole litany of legal jargon that they don't they went to medical school to become a caregiver, not not to not to become an adversary like we we do in law school. Right. Well, you know, the, one of the things that people who write about this, including myself, um, say is that the patients who are coming into offices now are viewed not just as patients but potential plaintiffs. And that's so sad. And it ruins the doctor-patient relationship right from the very start. It undermines it. Yes, absolutely. So um, who is pushing back? Well, that's a real good question. Um, uh, Largely, it's the medical malpractice insurers, those folks who currently issue um, insurance policies um, uh, to physicians. And and just let's we're going to have a hard break. So just give us like you did in the first segment, like the the overview. Who are the who are the players that push back, and we'll we'll drill down. Sure. Well, again, those those um, uh, those insurance carriers are losing control of the situation. They're 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 no longer in charge of who gets paid, when, and how much. Um, it's it's absolutely relieved from their hands. They're 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 out of business, so to speak, because the compensation system will establish its own schedule for physicians participation and that participation fee is considerably less than their current okay we'll 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 get into the meat of that conversation when we get back in the next segment on the dr slash stay with us Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
and you are back in the doctor's lounge. We're having a uh, very interesting, spirited conversation with my guest Wayne Oliver, the executive director of uh, patients for of the of patients for fair compensation. I, I interchange those patient compensation system, patients for fair compensation all the time. I got to get my brain it's all good st- straightened out. Um, we were um, at the break discussing push back to this system and and uh, Wayne you said that uh, the the insurance companies of course are are uh, the major um, uh, adversary to to a system that would undermine their business model I, I, I had a mentor um, uh, Andy von Eschenbach and dr. von Eschenbach is a former executive urologist a, a urologist that's exactly right um, uh, former um, uh, president of MD Anderson uh, former commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration former um, uh, uh, director of the National Cancer Institute, uh, who said that the only thing that likes change is a six-month-old baby with a dirty diaper. <laughs> so, so when you're when you're creating change, you're irrespective of what it is, you're going to get pushback because that's just the way the system is. Everybody likes the th- the way it's done today, yes. and this is a pretty disruptive model. Um, it, it, it changes the dynamics for patients. It changes the dynamics for doctors. It changes the dynamics for employers and those who pay for health care. And it, it changes the dynamics for those insurance carriers and lawyers. Um, the latter two are the, the most vocal opponent of the patient compensation system model. Um, again, it's disruptive. It, it takes lawyers, not only the plaintiff's lawyers, which you would, you would naturally think would be upset, but it also takes takes out the defense attorneys, the, the guys who are who are charging lots of money on an hourly basis to represent um, the interests of that insurance carrier. Now, a lot of physicians believe that that's their lawyer. That's not their lawyer. It's their, the, the insurance company's lawyer who just happens to have their case involved in that litigation. So it's lawyers on both sides, both the defense and the plaintiff's bar, uh, and those medical malpractice insurance carriers that are really pushing back on the system. And it's it's a difficult uh, uh, chore because you've got to go state by state by state. But in 1910, um, the first state adopted workers' compensation. It took about 30 years for workers' comp to get widely adopted in all of those states, but that was back in the days of the telegraph, and and, um, and communications weren't like they are. There, there wasn't a we mic. Don't, you don't have, we have supercomputers we, we, that, in our pocket that, that, now. That's right, no, no, nor do they have um, a, you know, a radio mic in front of you talking about a problem back in 1910. Maybe you did, but it wasn't broadcast you know, on the internet. On the internet, nor nor as um, as broadly as your audience is. So you know, now we have communications tools. We believe that as one state adopts this, there'll be a domino effect from state to state to state. Because what governor is going to want to see their neighbor saving billions of dollars on Medicaid and creating a better system for their injured patients? They're going to gravitate to it. They just are. Is there a state that's actually close to to uh, getting this uh, implemented in, in in very in various stages again this is a big idea and, and you're taking away someone's perceived right to a jury trial right a perceived right 
to access to a jury in the court system. Now, we already discussed earlier that those patients really don't have an access to that system because they're effectively blocked yes. because of the business model of the trial bar. Now, I'm not going to beat up on the trial bar right right now, um, <laughs> but um, their business model is is preempting a lot of folks who have legitimate injuries that ought to receive some compensation. And because of that business model, they're not. So they really don't have access to that court system that they think they do. But nonetheless, you are removing the right of an individual to a jury trial in a medical malpractice case and replacing that with a a system that we believe is, is better designed to take care of more people who've been legitimately injured. Is there an arbitration process if things don't go the way that a patient decides? Um, no. I mean, again, there is, is what it is. It is what it is. There is that panel, and they make a determination based on the facts and the medical record. Um, you know, and, and it, again, if there's a problem with process, um, if they didn't hear or receive all of the evidence or receive all of the information or there was some later information that came available, um, those those kind of things are, in fact, appealable. Um, but in terms of I, I just didn't get enough money, that's, that's not. You know, Workman's Comp, which you've brought up a couple of times, is, is uh, the backbone of what this system is based on. And yet there are a lot of people who have abused the Workman's Comp system. Does that potential for abuse exist in this system? Not, not so much because, you know, again, you know, you, you're, um, you're playing third base. Um, in, in, in a church league softball game and you, um, you, you field a ball uh, to your hard right. And in the process of fielding that ball, you, you pull something in your back. Well, the next day you go to work and you move a box and you go, oh, my word, um, my back hurts. Um, I'm going to file a worker's compensation claim. That's, that's fraud. Um, uh, pure and simple, but it's really hard to prove that I hurt myself on a baseball diamond or uh, softball diamond uh, as opposed to at work lifting a big old heavy box. Um, no one's going to intentionally receive a medical error yes. or, or a medical injury. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to leave that lap sponge in myself. No. I'm not going to do um, – I'm not going to encourage my, my orthopedic surgeon to, to replace my left knee instead of my right knee. No. So as a consequence, the, the system really can't have the, the abuse that the workers' comp system does. There are bad doctors. I hate to say this, and, and I'll, but I'll be the first to admit it, that uh, we do a very bad job of policing our own, and that has to improve. Well, in this system, because it will identify those near misses as well as those medical injuries, so all of a sudden, now we have data, we have information, we know that there's a problem with this doctor. And while the patient compensation system isn't going to do anything about that problem, they can certainly bring it to the attention of the medical board. That's an entity that's there, that's supposed to do the job of regulating the profession of medicine, and they're the experts in that regard. So, by the way, you know, most cases don't get... Um, uh, they they don't get litigated; they get settled, and so the specialty boards don't, or the medical the medical state medical boards have no knowledge about that right. until the next time that the that the doctor is going to get 
to to recertify to get their license uh, renewed, where they have to attest whether or not they had any any events or settlements or anything. This would be a real time uh, system where Absolutely. that information would get get sent to those um, those bodies, and they would be able to keep tabs. And, you know, and it may be something as simple of as uh, hey, we, we've had. A, a series of injuries related to that particular physician's practice. We're not telling you that you're that you're a bad doctor. We're telling you that here's the data. Um, you you might want to think about creating systems or protocols or something to kind of reduce those errors or or those injuries. You've had in the you've had ten patients in the last year who've had to be admitted for long term antibiotics, and those those patients lost compensation for work and we've had to comp- well okay so this is an opportunity to talk about bad outcomes versus versus medical errors um uh, and 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 I've tried to avoid because I'm 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 a bureaucrat I'm a lawyer bureaucrat I run an organization I'm not a doctor I don't practice medicine um so I hesitate to bring up procedures like the lap sponge or uh, other instances but talking to OBGYNs particularly who are actually they're they're getting killed they're getting because crushed you're right they're getting first off their premiums are through the roof i mean the, the, just the, the the amount of money that an obgyn um, has to put up annually for just their premiums is over the top it is over the top um, and and the vast majority of those and i'll use air quotes here claims um, are for bad outcomes, bad babies, bad babies. We have that had absolutely nothing to do with the care and treatment that that patient or that mother received at the time of their 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 pregnancy or the birth. Thank you, John Edwards. Indeed. So, so there's a difference between bad outcomes. A baby has spina bifida. That 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 doctor. That physician who delivered that baby had absolutely nothing to do with that that bad outcome. Well, they missed the diagnosis, and so they're going to be somebody's going to try to make a, a case that this mother could have terminated. It, 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 it is a it is a terrible it is a terrible thing when a bad baby is born. It just it just is. It is it is disruptive for the family, disruptive for the mom and the dad, but it's also it, it's hard on the OBGYN who delivers that baby. Absolutely. And um you, you know again, so if there was something associated with that birth that that physician did or didn't do because of of a level of care, then that's compensable. Yes. But but the vast majority of of babies who are who are born with that label of being a bad baby, um, you know, there was nothing that that doc could do. No, there's nothing that that doc could do. And so, in the current system, there are some communities in this country that do not have obstetricians because of the liability. And so, people who train in obstetrics gynecology give up their OB privileges in their hospital and just do GYN. That's right, and we're seeing that trend. North Carolina is a huge is has a crisis right now. It's and again, we believe it's it's anecdotal because we don't have any specific evidence or research around it. But we believe if you tell doctors, come to fill in the blank state, come to Georgia. Our system, you'll never be sued again for medical malpractice. Right. Your patient, your injured patient, if you do cause an injury, is otherwise compensated. 
and therefore they're taken care of in terms mm-hmm. of their future medical needs. Uh, and and um, uh, you have no personal liability, no no right. responsibility for um, uh, something in excess of whatever that judgment is. And and as a result, you're you're coming out of residency program. Where do you want to go? You want to go to a state where you can't be sued, or you want to go with one that's a that's a cesspool? And that's happened already. Doctors have voted with their feet um, in Texas, where medical malpractice protection is part of the state constitution. Right. There has been an influx of twenty six thousand doctors into Texas. New new doctors. New doctors. In California, where they have the micro laws that that limit pain and suffering awards, doctors have flocked not just because of the climate, which is a big reason, but also because of the favorable uh, um, climate in, in, in practicing. And so... Mercatus Institute at George Mason University, and I've Great said this at, on previous shows, came out last year with a scorecard that looks at the fifth at, at healthcare access and and um, and ranks the states based on on twenty six different parameters, malpractice being one of them. And imagine if this were were. Uh, uh, well, we we wouldn't have we wouldn't have pockets where there aren't OBGYNs, right? They, 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 there were pockets um, of the lower Rio Grande Valley, for example, in Texas that had no neurosurgeons and no OBGYNs, and as a consequence, because of what Texas did, they've flocked there. There is no longer a shortage of doctors in those two specialties in that uh, in that region. Well, we uh, have a couple of more things that we're going to need to cover. We could probably talk another hour about this, but <laughs> unfortunately, we have just one more segment, so stay with us in the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We are wrapping up our conversation with Wayne Oliver from Patients for Fair Compensation, talking about the medical malpractice crisis. Um, We've discussed so much and so much ground that we can cover. Um, Before I I, uh, uh, launch into the last segment, I wanted to give a shout-out to the the um, 
the creator of the Patients for Fair Compensation, Rick Jackson, who's good friend of both of ours, and right. uh, who who really is is. Um, uh, a true patriot. He really is is devoted to fixing the health care system. Well, he, um, he's been engaged in health care um, his whole adult life. Um, he runs the second largest staffing company um, uh, in, uh, in the country. Um, we, on any given day, we've got about 6,000 physicians that we have placed that are providing care that uh, in, in, in settings where they wouldn't have otherwise been if, if um, we hadn't have been there to, to provide that staffing opportunity. So um, there's lots of docs out there that, that, that are uh, in places, um, whether it's in a locums environment or whether it's a full-time placement, um, that Jackson Health Healthcare and its companies um, have placed, and you talked about doctors that that uh, Jackson Healthcare is involved in. They have surveyed these doctors, That's as right. have other um, other surveys that you've um, that you've commissioned, and doctors. By and large, support an effort like this. It, um, Hal, it's over the top. Um, uh, f- for example, in Florida, where there are any number of pockets, where there are um, um, judicial cesspools, shall we call them? Uh, South Florida. I mean, um, it, it's really, really tough to find an OBGYN who will deliver babies in South Florida. They're they're having to go to, to Central Florida to have their babies. It, it, so um, uh, docs in Florida uh, support this initiative um, to the tune of about 94%. Just to give you some point of reference, One Nation Under God polls at 89%. So, you know, to get that many docs to agree that this system is a is a better way to take care of patients and a better way to, to take care of medical injuries um, is, is saying a good bit. So the doctors, as individuals, support this. That's right. And yet organized medicine seems to uh, be pushing back particularly the um, the state medical societies well ag- again first off remember that analogy that dr. von Eschenbach told us about change um, um, medical societies medical uh, state medical associations really don't want change they want they want to protect what what is around them today um, and what, what is that well I mean that's a that's a whole series of things I mean whether that's um, you know clinical best practices um, uh, you know there's there is there is there invested in this system that's correct and 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 it's a system that they know the the, the state medical associations know and and there's also um, I believe that there's a conflict of interest to some degree insofar as many of these state medical associations are receiving some kind of revenue stream from the professional liability carriers um, and to that degree they're protecting an income source again if if a patient compensation system evaporates it's better for doctors it's better for patients it's better for employers it's not better for an insurance company so as a consequence there is a little bit of a rub between um, our system uh, and those carriers which then creates the rub with the state medical so the, the organizations that represent doctors who support this are really not actually supporting the doctors they are looking out for the self-interest of their societies to the um at the expense of the doctors that they're supposed to represent well put interesting so uh, just last week there was a um a uh a, a bill that was introduced in the house of representatives to talk about uh finally going ahead and uh 
doing something with medical malpractice because nobody's been talking about it in this healthcare debate. Thoughts about that? Well, uh, uh, first off, the vast majority of, as we t- as we discussed earlier, the vast majority of those uh, medical injuries are otherwise covered by a state tort statute, as opposed to whatever um, the federal government might do. There are some, in fact, um, uh, uh, medical malpractice cases brought in federal court, but they're but they're pretty they're pretty small. The no- the overall number. But what I think that the feds can do um, is to incentivize state to do creative ways to to address not only the problem uh, within litigation but also defensive medicine. Um, we've got to we've got to insulate doctors. You know we've got to say, irrespective of what what a hired gun expert witness might say, the clinical standards are here. If a doctor you know practices to those clinical standards there ought to be a safe harbor right that that doctor ought not to be a drug into court uh, you know by by some yahoo from you know michigan who hasn't practiced in 15 years and just goes a- around working with trial attor- attorneys all over the country mm-hmm. um, w- we've got to do something about um, that cottage industry as you described so the mass torts the so this this system would um, would mitigate the the mass torts that we're bombarded with the people who are advertising on TV every every evening and saying if you have this symptom this symptom this symptom this symptom you might um, be um, you might be able to be compensated. That's for right. It. And, and again, I, I don't want to you know, get get too far in the weeds with respect to um, um, uh, professional liability versus product liability. Because again, if we're talking about a, a specific drug, um, that's a product liability suit. Although the doctor is brought in it from a professional liability because he was or she was the one who prescribed it. Yes. So they're kind of trapped in a in a dual system. So that we so it's it. It, it is a little bit of a mess. So this is a very complicated um, a system, a, a very ambitious project. Is there any precedent for sure, where this a, has worked? That's a great question, Hal. Um, every, every country that speaks English has migrated away from a litigation-based system and towards a patient compensation system. We, we have been fortunate to be able to draw from the best elements from Sweden and from Australia, uh, from New Zealand, from South Africa, from Canada. What, what, what the system ought to look like? How, how would it be more fair for patients? How can it be more fair for physicians? And how can it overall reduce medical costs? There is no defensive medicine in England. There is no defensive medicine in South Africa. Right. There, there is no defensive medicine in Australia. That there's no reason for those docs to practice it, and therefore one in four healthcare dollars can be freed up in those in those countries. They can't even comprehend that concept when we that's when exactly we talk right. to them. That's exactly right. That, 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 the, the system is so foreign to them that they just don't get it. How did it get this way? Well, um, it's those late night. TV ads. I mean, it's it, it's we've created a litigious society. If someone if someone is hurt, it has to be someone else's fault. Um, and for for way too long and way too often, that person would be the physician. Um, and this is I, I've I can't tell you how many physicians I've talked to who who've been sued, who take it absolutely personally 
Um, I, I talked to a physician in Gwinnett County here in, in Metro Atlanta. Um, she was a trained OBGYN. Um, she was she was sued inappropriately for a bad baby. It it traumatized her life. She went back and took a family practice residency and is now practicing family medicine in Gwinnett County. This is a this is a talented person who was otherwise trained, whose life was ruined because of one medical malpractice lawsuit. Um, it changed her life. She went back to she she quit practicing OBGYN and went back in, into family medicine where it's where, where there's less exposure. So the, the, the litigation-based system is, is broken. It's caused um, out-of-control health care costs and defensive medicine. It's not good for patients. It's not good for doctors. It's not good for employers and others who pay for the system. And, and ultimately, it's not good for society. So we are coming to an end. We probably have just a few minutes before we have to wrap this up. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of uh, pull everything we talked about back into like a closing argument, uh, counselor, and um, and tell tell everybody why why um, this is important and and. Uh, how they can uh, find out more about this and how they can contact you if they wanted to. Um, uh, well, thank you. And, and, again, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be with you here in the doctor's lounge, I, my first time in a doctor's lounge, um, uh, uh, electronic or otherwise, um, uh, and uh, really appreciate our friendship. And, and what you are doing with Docs for Patient Care is, is really bending um, the perspective as it relates to how doctors are, are going to practice today and in the future. Um, and the ideas and um, subject matter that you all are wrapping your arms around is exactly what doctors who are in practice who are in practice today um, need to fully understand. So they ought to go to your website as well. Thank you. And patients. Um, yes, uh, you know, and the, the 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 patient compensation system is a is an idea whose time has come, uh, as we've indicated. Um, there, are, for example, here in Georgia, there's 14 billion dollars a year that's being wasted on. Um, uh, on defensive medicine, wow. um, and and for for rather dubious um, uh, outcomes. So here's the little soundbite. Um, in 2013, nine and a half million Georgians paid 14 billion dollars so that 17 medical malpractice juries could be impaneled, so that three patients could be compensated. Wow. Now there's not there's there's not a policymaker anywhere that says yep that's the superior system yes let's gravitate to that solution they're just not going to do it okay well you know this has been a great conversation and I wish we had another hour because there's so many other points that need to be uh, discussed but Wayne thank you so much for being here today and I hope you'll come back and give us updates on what's happening in the states that you mentioned and elsewhere we'd love to. Okay. Well, thank you for being with us in the Doctor's Lounge today, and I look forward to being with you next time. So come back.
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.